Welcome to the Understanding Diabetes Tests podcast, powered by Diabetes Qualified. Thank you for joining us today. My name's Angela Blair and I'm a credentialed diabetes educator. I'm joined here by Caroline Coronef, also a credentialed diabetes educator. And we're going to talk about the tests that are taken by the pathology around diabetes, whether leading into diabetes or after one's diagnosed with diabetes. So thanks for joining me, Caroline. Oh, it's a pleasure. Can you explain some of the tests that are taken once a person is diagnosed with diabetes? Yes, so usually speaking, the doctor, either the GP or the endocrinologist would um, organise a blood test called a HbA1c. Um, That is sort of like a three-month average test um, to see how diabetes control is. Um, People can take blood glucose levels themselves or they can be done more formally at the laboratory as well. Um, We also want to look at what is the cholesterol levels or also named lipids and we uh, we'd want to know how kidney function is and that can be done both by a blood test um, looking at serum creatinine and EGFR or it can be done through urine test where we look at the albumin in the urine and the albumin to creatinine ratio or ACR for short. There's quite a few tests there is quite a few, yes. But they're not taken all the time, so... No, and most of them are just sort of the one blood test. So the, the pathologist, you know, will just put their little needle in and just maybe take two or three vials, nice and easy, over and done within five minutes, and, you know, very little discomfort. And most of these tests are taken once a year? Most of them are done once a year, yeah. Though the HbA1c tends to be done every three to four months, but it depends a little bit on where you're at in your diabetes journey. Yeah. As we know, these tests are really a really important part of that ongoing care of diabetes. Absolutely. It gives us a good idea of where we're at, whether we are in, in, at risk or in the process of developing any complications related to diabetes. And if that's the case, then you, know, you can do something about that to a large degree to try and minimise the uh, impact. So maybe let's talk about the difference between the HbA1c and a person checking their own blood glucose levels because a lot of people think they're much the same but they're very different, aren't they? They are very different, yes. When we check your your own blood glucose level um, doing the finger prick, then you're looking at how much is your glucose level right now at this moment in time, uh, whereas the HbA1c is looking at the bigger picture thing. So it's looking at what's the glucose been on average over the last last three months or so. So I often like to use an analogy sort of for those who drive a car, they'll know that you have a speedometer and when you look at your speedometer, you can see, well, how fast are you going right now? That would be equivalent to the blood glucose level. Whereas um, when you get the potentially with the new newer cars these days, anyway, you might get a printout or something or a picture on your screen to say, well, what was your average speed and your average distance and all that, that will be more equivalent equivalent to the HbA1c, if that makes sense. I know as an educator, I always encourage people to know what their HbA1c result is. What, what are they aiming for? Do you, you know, I know what I think a target range is, but it's very hard to explain to some people why the target is, is very different from a finger prick target. Yes, it's particularly difficult because the numbers seem so similar, you know, because when you're talking about a finger prick, you usually want your sugars to be around sort of four to seven fasting and about four to 10 or so during the daytime, depending on whether it's before a meal or after a meal, depending on, on other issues you may have, whether you have other medical issues, you know, what your age is. Um, we might not need perfect um, 
glycemic or, or glucose control for, for the real elderly or, or the really young ones. We don't want them too tight either. Um, so there's different numbers for different people, but it does depend on, on how well they are or unwell they are. If you have many medical problems, um, the doctor may suggest that you might have a slightly higher target. Um, people that are newly diagnosed, they may not even be on any medication for diabetes just yet. They might just be controlled with diet and exercise it may be a lower target in that case often less than six and a half percent they say that the normal range for the HbA1c for people that don't have diabetes is between four and six so if you have diabetes usually can be a little bit higher because it is very difficult to keep the numbers in the right range just as it is so difficult to say um, when you're driving to come back to that analogy you keep your speed at exactly 56 kilometers per hour yeah you can't do that for starters when you start driving you're doing slower you know you have to work up to that speed first but then you might hit a school zone where you need to cut back a little bit or you might want to overtake somebody you might just want to speed up a little bit to get that done safely so there is always that fluctuation in the speed there when is. you're driving and similarly you have fluctuation in your blood glucose levels as well um, but that's where that HbA1c is is handy because it kind of looks more at the average yeah. over the longer period but it's it's not the be all and end all. We still need to know what the glucose levels are at different time points um, because you can get an average of six if you if your glucose levels are always between four and eight, but you can also get an average of six if you're between two and 20. That's right. And we see that all the time as educators. Mm. People will often come in and go, oh, my HPNC is great. But when you actually look at what's happening on a day-to-day basis, there's such a variation and that usually causes more problems down the track as far as complications than actually having that more targeted blood glucose level between a more narrow range. I guess as educators, one of the things that we like is when people do check their blood glucose levels, but do they need to check all of the time? No, it very much depends on um, where they're at in in their journey. So somebody who's just newly diagnosed, like I said earlier, who's just maybe on diet control and, 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 and doing exercise to try and control the sugars, they don't need to check their sugars at all um, because there's not an awful lot that will change on a day-to-day basis. Once you start um, on medications, it may start to become a little bit more important and certainly with certain medications. There's a group of medications called the sulfonylureas. Um, there are things like diamicron that people are most um, commonly familiar with and this tablet um, stimulates your pancreas to make more insulin. So then there is a risk of the glucose levels dropping down to low and then I think it is important to check those sugars more often similarly when uh, insulin is in, involved so when you actually have to inject insulin to replace whatever your body doesn't produce it's more important to check glucose levels more often to know how the insulin's working for you and whether the doses need adjustment or anything like that. Yeah I know it's a very important conversation to have with people because so many people we see as educators are told by their doctor oh you need to test your blood um, mm. and check your glucose levels. And then but nobody they don't actually, looks at it. Well, nobody looks at it. And, you know, pages and pages of results and they're just testing for the sake of testing. I always tell people test if you're going to use the results to make better choices or decisions about mm. you know, what you're eating and how you're looking after your diabetes rather than just checking because someone told you to check. Yeah. And I guess that brings a point as well. You know, We often talk about testing when we're talking about blood glucose monitoring. Um, and I guess in the past that's that's sort of 
yeah, the words that we use. But this day and age, we tend to talk more about blood glucose checking. For people that have been around for a long time, like you and I, we we do fall back in bad habits from time to time, I guess. But we should really talk about blood glucose checking when we're talking about um, the self-monitoring that people do at home because you cannot pass or fail. You know, we're just looking to see, well, where are you at in that moment in time? Is your glucose level to target? Are you above target or are you below target? Because that will then give us information as to whether we need to do anything to to change the situation. And it's also good for them to have that information Mm. so they can make immediate decisions. Well, I've eaten something that has put my level above target. Maybe next time I need to maybe eat a little less of that. It helps with tweaking. I'm a great believer that, that when people check their blood glucose levels it's for them first and us second yeah absolutely yeah it's a it's a guide it's a guide it's not um a rule as such okay let's move on now to lipids <laughs> you know they're often called blood fats blood lipids cholesterol most people levels. call it your cholesterol yeah. you know it's made up of more than one check within that so do you want to talk a little bit about lipids Yes, yeah, so there's um, there's different type of lipids. So usually when you get the blood test done for the lipids, um, they look at what is the total cholesterol in the blood and then they narrow it down to sort of what are some of the specific types of cholesterol. So there's something that is called triglycerides that gets checked, uh, HDL cholesterol gets checked and the LDL cholesterol gets checked. Uh, my husband is a big Clint Eastwood fan, so I can't help but always think of cholesterol as that his favourite movie, The Good, The Bad the ugly and we all use that in our mm. when we're talking to people with diabetes or whoever we're talking to we've always called it the good it's the bad a and the ugly it's a great way it, of explaining yeah. so which one's the good the good cholesterol is the hdl the high density lipoprotein um, that's the one that gives us protection against heart disease and strokes and the bad? Well, the bad will be the LDL cholesterol, so the low-density lipoprotein. Um, so that is the one that puts us more at risk. So the higher the number with that one, the more at risk you are of heart attacks and strokes. Whereas with the HDL, the good cholesterol, high number gives you more protection. And, of course, we can't forget the, the ugly. <laughs> That's right. So triglycerides um, are more influenced by our diet to a large degree. So uh, people that drink a lot of alcohol have usually have higher triglycerides. High carbohydrates in the diet uh, can increase the triglycerides as well. And if the triglycerides are being checked, that's why it needs to be a fasting test. Otherwise, it's not very accurate. That's correct, yes. Whereas when you just look at total cholesterol, HDL, LDL, it's not that crucial um, to be fasting. How often should people get there? cholesterol, blood fats, lipids checked? Uh, again, it depends a little bit. I'd say at least once a year. Um, but if, if a person has already established heart disease, for example, the doctor may want to check it as often as every three months, in which case it can be done at the same time as the HbA1c. Now, the other test you mentioned, we'll move on to the next one, was an EGFR. Do you want to just elaborate a little more on that? Because I'm sure these are just letters in the alphabet for most people. And it's, you know, I tend to call a kidney check. <laughs> so do you want to talk a little bit about that one? Yeah. So EGFR stands for estimated 
glomeruli filtration rate. So the glomeruli are the filtering system in within the kidney, um, and this particular test looks at well, how well are your kidneys filtering? Um, so generally speaking, we want that number to be uh, above 90 for most people. Um, but once we get older, automatically the kidneys don't work as well as other parts of our body. You know, your eyesight goes, your hearing goes, <laughs> and your kidneys don't filter as well as we get older. So, um, you know, if you, if you have a number of, say, around 60 when you're 60, then that's sort of pretty reasonable, I think. But yeah, again, it's bigger picture stuff. So it depends on other illnesses that you might have and uh, perhaps even other medications that you're on because some medications can influence that number. So yeah. That's not the only way of having your kidneys checked though. There are a few other ways that people mm. may be having it. Yeah, and in fact, uh, the other way, uh, so that's through a urine test and a particular urine test called uh, urine albumin. Uh, and then often they do what they call the albumin to creatinine ratio. So that's looking at how the kidneys are filtering as well. And that's actually a much more specific test um, because your EGFR can be quite normal still, but you might already have a little bit of albumin in mm. the urine as, as a result of maybe high glucose levels or high blood pressure. And, it, you know, it might not actually have caused any permanent damage to the kidneys as such, but it might show up in that urine test. Um, and that can be a really good indicator because if that is, mm. level is a little bit higher, Maybe by tightening your glucose control, by tightening blood pressure control, that can still be reversed to a large degree. Whereas once the EGFR starts going, it's a lot harder to start um, mm. changing things around. So we, we tend to recommend people start with that, don't we, as, mm. as a first step in, in making sure that their kidney function is yeah, still... and that's such an easy test as well, well because all you need to do is pee in a little bit in a jar yeah. <laughs> and give it to the doctor to send off to the pathology. And How easy is that? That is so easy. So much easier than having blood taken. <laughs> Absolutely. So Carolyn, when we talk about these tests, we kind of lump them into the um, annual cycle of care screening that we do. I mean, this plays a big part in that, doesn't it? Yes. So um, with Diabetes New South Wales and ACT, we do um, go out around um, the whole of the, the state, um, both states, and um, do different annual cycles of care. So that's where people are booked in. We'll see them. We'll check the HbA1c. We check the lipids. We check the urine, almond, creatinine ratio. And we'll do a big foot assessment because that's often where problems arise from diabetes diabetes as well and then a report goes out to the doctor and it's a really good way of kind of a one-stop shop if you like or if you go back to the car analogy it's a bit like your sort of your annual, annual um, service annual service right <laughs> and I think that is um, a good thing for everybody to do now you don't necessarily have to come to a diabetes annual cycle of care because lots of places run these kind of programs um, a lot of hospitals will have uh, clinics that they might call a complications assessment clinic or, or some other assessment clinic in that but words to that extent uh, where they can do similar kind mm. of checks. A lot of GPs do the checks already or they might send you to different places to get it done. So they'll send you to a podiatrist to get your feet checked and to an optometrist to check your eyes and do the blood test and then they'll put all that information together um, to to see how yeah. um, how things are going for you. We, we encourage now people to add in their hearing and their a mouth check as well as part of that annual cycle of care and also a bit of a review about where they're at with their diabetes as far as medication and I guess how they're feeling about their diabetes as well. So 
you know, one way of looking at these tests is part of that bigger picture screening for complications, but also that progression and how they're doing with their diabetes. Yeah, that's actually a really good point you're making because we often forget about the mouth, don't we? Whereas it's that's the first place where the food goes (laughs) and that's how we get the glucose into the system. And it makes sense to look after your, your mouth because we quite familiar with the fact that if you have high sugars, you're more at risk of infections or if you have an infection, you get higher sugars. But gingivitis is, is one of those infections that's and that's right. often overlooked. And that can be whether people have their natural teeth or they've got um, replacement teeth, yeah. dentures in other words. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, it's an interesting. We have that conversation a lot with people, as as well as hearing. Um, that's something that is is on our radar at the moment. Is this, you know, the new research around hearing loss and diabetes? And I, I guess, you know, when we're looking at someone's health and them having diabetes, it's really important to make sure everything's working properly because mm. it's all about that. I feel happy and I feel like I'm able to cope and manage and look after myself. And you can do that especially if you can hear properly. So, you know, hearing loss is something we've also added in. And it's such a tricky area too because, you know, we get diabetes in most cases when we're getting older, but then we're putting the hearing loss or the or the eye problems down to age, right? But it could be related to the diabetes. So it makes sense to, to get that checked as well. as well. Well, this has been a really interesting chat today. So thank you. It's nice on my part as an educator to sometimes ask the questions. But I think one way of looking at, at diabetes is this, I've got to look after my whole health, not just part of my health. So thank you for coming in today. Oh, that's been my pleasure. And you're absolutely right. It's, you can't have a person without a body. So we need to look at all the parts of the body and make sure they all work in unison. Thanks for listening to the Understanding Diabetes Test podcast. For more information, webinars, fact sheets and resources, head to diabetesqualified.com.au.